Welcome to Sisters and Sonder, the stories of the unheard, a storytelling podcast, a place for the misfits and the outcasts to find validation and healing through the power of stories. Sonder, a noun meaning the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. We're your hosts, Sammy and Tori. Let's get it. Hey, y'all. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Uh, We hope that you have listened to part one of this episode. If you have not, go back to last week and listen to Black Lives Matter with our grandpa part one so that you can be added to with this episode part two. So um, I wanted to start with just having Sam and I talk a little bit about what it was like to talk to grandpa because it was it was something special um I feel like like grandpa said you know we didn't talk about it much when we were kids and of course it was happening to us when we were Mm -hmm. kids and being able to talk to him was it was healing in a way right just like sitting and talking and hearing your family member just validate literally everything um and recognizing that you know he wished that he could have helped sooner, but he's here to help now. It was really cool. Yeah, I I appreciated it. Mainly just because, I mean, he's always been, like, our number one fan and our number one support no matter what. Yeah. Even if it's, like, begrudgingly, like, he he's the perfect old man. Like, I could have done it better. And you're like, okay, Grandpa. Cool. Yeah. Um, but it was nice to have to see that kind of like soft side of him when it came to us because we Mm -hmm. always Yeah. I really appreciate him. Yeah, and hearing him talk about talking about all of this in his community, you know, a, a conservative Idaho community and sort of not backing down, um, that's another form of just really incredible love, you know. And, yeah, like our grandpa's always loved us, like you said, always been our cheerleader. But um, that extra fight is very important yeah especially right now yeah so um yeah and I think that he had a lot of awesome things to say I mean you know we're all still learning and even being black we're still learning here and there and you know changing when lingo changes or expectations change things like that so um to watch a older generation continue to learn and uh sort of find the unique ways, you know, that he can contribute to the fight. Um, I don't know. It was really cool. Yeah. He's a cool guy. He's a pretty cool guy. (laughs) 
So this next episode, you know, when you talk about black lives and specifically this movement um, that recently resurged in May, you can't help but start talking about police brutality, police reform, um, specifically regarding, you know, Breonna Taylor, uh, George Floyd. So we um, got some conversations with Grandpa about all of that, and that is going to be our second half here. So if you didn't hear the first half of this conversation with our grandfather, you stop right here, right now. Stop. No, thank you. And come back and listen to the second part of us having a lovely conversation with our grandfather. We'll be right back. It's lack of justice and death for no reason. Well, and there's a continual of, we're going to give you this, when it's the same of, like, arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. That is a big thing. And then they're like, oh, here's her on life. Yeah, magazine. here we go. That's not what we asked for. Mm-hmm. We asked you to arrest the cops that have killed Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. We here's didn't ask law. for, yeah, we, did, we got a law. That's not what we asked for. We're, we're asking for a specific thing, and you're trying to give us other things to plague it. That's the hardest, that's the hardest, one of the hardest cases. Mm-hmm. We gave them the right to use a no-knock warrant. Yeah. Once again, because I think because the police were afraid... The courts and the law were afraid for the police and they were afraid for other people in the area that if, you know, if the druggies started a a firefight with the police, a whole bunch of other people might get hurt. Yeah. Or if they knew they were coming, they could flee. I I understand, I suppose, why you wanted... But if you're going to have a no-knock warrant, then you better... I have to I have to guard my language now for you. <laughs> You'd better be damn sure that the people are executing it check and double check and make sure they're in the right place in that neighborhood yeah. and that the warrant is correct yeah. and that they don't go in guns a blazing. Now I know they didn't. But they did not announce themselves. Mm-hmm. No. And I ask anybody well, if you're the, if you're in your apartment and you're sitting on your couch and you're watching the late show, yeah, and your door crashes in and someone comes running in, you grab your gun. My God, yeah. what are these people doing here? Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, and they were in street clothes and they didn't announce themselves, and you still have the element of surprise if you're at their door and you say police. You still have the element of surprise. Yeah, even if they try to run. You're right yeah, there. You put somebody at the back door. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, but... So, yeah, if you can't come in and then expect people to just... And, uh, excuse me, if this was supposed to be some sort of a drug raid, 
they didn't feel pretty sure that they were going to have lots of guns in there. Yeah. Well, not only that, but there was this communication with dispatch and they didn't even tell them that the people that they were actually going to get were already arrested. Mm-hmm. So then they, well, that, see, that miscommunication If they're going to have this big... It shouldn't happen. It's like there's not miscommunication in a surgery, right? Because yeah. it can't happen. That is a place that miscommunication and bad kill somebody can't happen. Yeah. But in the police force, miscommunications, paperwork misfiled, you know... And yet, let me cite another example. um, If you remember, on 9-11, there were so many uh, of our firefighters and so on that were killed because their communication apparatus was not very good. Mm -hmm. Well, it's good now. They fixed that right away. Will the police forces fix their communications so that when they check and they say we're going to go execute such and such a warrant they say hold a minute they check out the warrant make sure it's still valid before they send them out on the street or just repercussions Will they check after it? all of this. Because yeah, a surgeon, yeah, a surgeon, your job. if someone dies on their table, they have to They're now, liable. Yeah, they have yes. to now go uh, in front of or, people. Or someone because it. of whatever exactly. happened that caused that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's why they keep surgery, surgery notes, right? There's someone in a surgery that just takes notes the whole time of what's happening. So that uh, yeah, if something I've been there. wrong... They can now go back and say, "This is these are the notes." This There's is the happened. procedure right there. Yeah, and and they have to answer for it, and then the police officers don't have to answer for it. Why? Why? Well, and it's the struggle of, like, why all of a sudden is your life because you chose this career more important than an innocent person's life? Mm-hmm. And like the biggest issue we had in Salt Lake is we've had a lot of people die in the hands of the police and our attorney general keeps on saying no that was justified no this was what happened even though we're seeing the cams of the videos and we're show is showing what is happening and it's happened it just happened like a couple weeks ago a uh, kid on the spectrum his mother called because he was having an overreaction and he was not doing well he was not stable and she asked for a social worker but dispatch miscommunicated and sent the police and and even if even if they sent a social worker social workers don't have the authority to call because they have to wait to get the kid hospitalized if they need to be hospitalized i as a therapist have to call a police officer to come and assess my client to then call an ambulance to take them to the hospital i don't have the authority to do that myself but if you got there, could the mother call on an ambulance? If they're at their own home, the mother could call on yes. an ambulance. So, and but, if they, you know, if she's yeah. having trouble and the social worker comes and, is, and she's, the social worker says, you're going to have to call an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And but then the, the social is, worker there is to, can maybe keep the situation under control until the medical personnel get there and I don't know whether they slightly sedate the person to get them mm-hmm. so they can take but them to a facility and help them. if that social worker gets called. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, it's uh, half we the have... time that it's so short-staffed and not a necessity I'm not, I'm that not... like Salt Lake City does not have that many. We, we are so short-staffed with that that they're like, oh, 
they're busy, so we're just going to call in the police and they can take care of it. We talked, you know, we talked about this the other night while y'all were here. We have, we have all of a sudden burdened our police with far more than they are trained to deal with. Yeah. They are trained, first of all, to be law enforcement officers, to protect us. Yeah. In some cases from ourselves, in some cases from others. Mm-hmm. But they are not. And then we close all medical facilities and we put these people out on the street. Mm-hmm. And so they have to now deal with someone with a slight mental problem mm-hmm. or someone who has a severe mental problem. Mm-hmm. Or domestic and they end up on the street. They can't afford the medications. Yep. And they go whichever way they go with that problem. Mm-hmm. And... They are supposed to know how to handle that. They have no, not not a whit of training mm-hmm. and no, how to you, deal with that. What we said last They know night. how to assault a building because there is someone in there with hostage. Yeah. And they know how to be careful and not kill the hostage, we yeah. hope. But they don't, they, they, they can't take, they can't, they cannot deal with an autistic child. Yeah. Who is having a breakdown? Yeah, and and there's no amount of training that will make them be able to. I no. have a three year degree. I, I know. That. So there's no amount of, of police academy training that would make them equipped to do that. But it, it is someone else's job. And but it, 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 it there job. is enough police academy training in those fields to help them realize it and get some help. Yeah, and just try and. Clear the area and let the little kid scream and yell. Yeah. Try and keep him from hurting himself, yeah. hurting someone else. And then calling in. And, and calling in the, you know, and not uh, taking him down and telling him to sit still when he's in his state. He has no idea what you're saying to him. No. His, his, he's in a... A whole another world of his own. Yeah, yeah. Which a therapist is able to, like, we deal with it all the time. I deal with escalated kiddos. I've dealt with kids throwing stuff across the room. Well, any... I've dealt with it before, and I know how to bring them back down and how to validate and how to let them feel their feelings. And then what's the opposite, right? If there's sensory overload, how do we turn off senses in here? We turn off the lights and we sit on the floor, and I'm able to do that. And indeed, if, if they... If the whomever they call, spend some time with the parent. Mm -hmm. The parent may tell them the doctor with whom they deal with this child. Yeah. And and so they call the police and they call that doctor. And nine chances out of ten, if they're a a decent physician or counselor or psychologist and and they're capable of being able to, they'll jump in the car and run over there Mm -hmm. because the kid is in a break or the person is in a complete breakdown or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and although this is dispatched, the psychologist is on their way. Just yeah. stay back and yeah. keep him from running away. Hurt him off like a cow or something, <laughs> but keep him in the area. And this, his psychologist will be there in five or seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And he can talk to him. He knows exactly how to talk him down. Yeah. yeah. Because I've dealt with, um, at our church when I would work in the children's ministry, 
I had specific kids. Um, I called. I was their church buddy, and so whenever they came, if they were on the spectrum, like I was the person that was always with them because I worked with them and I knew exactly if they were having uh, like sensory overload or if they were frustrated and they didn't know how to communicate it. I knew how to communicate to them on figuring out the situation mm-hmm. and having that person and that ability to be able to de-escalate that situation is so needed but it's not taught like that's yeah. something you're you're you have to learn by experience well you're right tori we don't we 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 would have no police force if they had to have a phd <laughs> yeah. before before they could yeah. You know, before they could issue them a gun and a badge. Yeah. And their bulletproof vest. Um, but the the municipalities have to... It's not, the, it's not the police force. It's the municipality that has to say, okay, we've got to expand the protection of our, of our citizenry and to protect them. So that means we have to expand certain parts of our police department yeah. Yeah. and so we have got to hire um, we have got to hire social workers or whatever they decide they want to put in there that can handle mm-hmm. certain situations and we have to have them working not on call we have to have them working at the station mm-hmm. 24-7 well, yeah, and, and you don't call... have you don't have to have as many of them as you have police no you have to have enough to go a 24-hour, uh, you know, a 24-hour cycle so that you've got one on hire. Yeah. They are there at the station. If need be, they can go themselves or they can go with the police from the station. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when someone calls, right, like that mom calls and says, my son has autism, he's escalated, he's gotten, you know, he's starting to hit me and I need some help, like... You that is a very clear mental health call, right? Like you yeah. know when those calls come in, they're not surprise. You know that those calls, right? My kiddo's suicidal and they want to hurt themselves. You know when it's a mental mm-hmm. health call. You know that you could turn that to a different person. And you know we haven't even begun to talk about domestic violence, yeah, which is a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and I think just because the so law many enforcement needs to be, it needs to. Put more of the human condition, more of the human experience in law enforcement. Yeah, it's so and you can procedural, and so this is the way we do it, and it's not really accounting for the fact that you're dealing with humans who have emotions. You're dealing with experiences yes. that you may never have experienced yourself, but are happening right now, and well, we need to work on those too. Yeah. So when they have a fear response and Excuse kill me. someone. They are human, yeah. and that was their fear response taking over. However, they could have been trained how to deal with that. Yeah. They also still get repercussions. If you are fearful and you kill someone, you still get repercussions for that. And, you know, right now they're immune from that. Yeah. But they're well, humans I, I, too. They have a human response, but they have to be able to be trained in a job that I'm negates not, that human I'm response. I'm not sure that they're immune. It just seems as though they're immune there's still an awful lot of (laughs) there's probably an i i keep going back to fear yeah and i think it's a lot of municipality governance is 
afraid. They don't want to lose their entire police force because then they are in a real pickle. Sure. But if they build up the compliance in the police force to do certain Mm -hmm. kinds of things, and when the police say, we can't do all of that, say, okay, come on in. How do we make it so we can do that? What do we have to do that will work that way? Well, um, I ain't got no degree in sociology. Okay, you don't have to. What if we had a sociologist that was on duty at the station Mm -hmm. that could go to that call with you and help you de-escalate the situation? Yeah. And it's it's so nuanced. I mean, they do learn de-escalation, but it's so nuanced. You never know, like... There's every time that I've had a client escalated, every single time has been different. Even with the same client, every time is so different yeah. that it takes a lot of practice to be able to be good at something like that. And, you know, I practice every day. I see clients all the time. And so I have a lot more instances that I can pull from to know what to do in each situation where they, you know, don't. And so um, I think that's the other part too, is just, yeah, sharing, sharing the duties and, and we have a, you know, it seems that we have, of course, we're way off the subject of black lives now, except we're still, we're on the fringe of how do we enforce that. But if you're, you know, in, in domestic violence, it seems like, to me, unless I'm, I'm wrong, I would have to have the actual factual information. The police think it's always going to be an extremely volatile and violent situation. Well, it's... If somebody called because there was domestic violence in their home, then it's a volatile situation. But is it violent? And many often, many times, when an officer shows up, it cools down because mm-hmm. I don't want to get arrested for hitting her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they they send in a male officer. And the woman is immediately intimidated. She's not going to say anything yeah, no. yeah. to a male officer. Mm-hmm. Well, and the opposite, if you're a male, right, it goes both ways. Women can be perpetrators too. And if you're a male that is being harmed by your wife and a male officer shows up, you don't want to look weak or yeah, beat uh, yeah. up or, right? Like, so again, it's that nuance. Well, I don't know. If I was sort of... literally afraid that she was going to kill me, I don't <laughs> Just take me away from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, hard to say. So, we hope that you enjoyed that kind of conversation with our grandpa it's an important one and I think it's one that we'll continue to have for a long time so as far as a tidbit from Tori regarding all of this stuff I think it comes down to a few things I think that it's important to protect yourself if there are boundaries that you need in order to feel safe and keep some emotional energy do that set your boundaries 
cut people off if you need to. Allow yourself to take care of yourself as well as taking care of others. And that also comes to when you're reading about black lives or reading about racial justice or reading the news about what's going on. If you need a break, take a break. Because fighting for black lives and dismantling white supremacy is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a long-term goal that needs energy for a long time. And if you burn yourself out, then you no longer can fight this fight with us. And then, you know, we're back to fighting it on our own. And then I would also say, similar to what my grandpa was saying, right? Find the way that you can get involved. Maybe it's not that you live in a big metro city and you don't have marches to go to. Um, or you live in a big metro city, but you don't feel comfortable to go to the marches. Um, find the way that you can go or can support. You know, Sammy went to marches in their car with their pal, Dan, and handed out water bottles. You know, my grandpa didn't get to go to the march, but he watched it and he, you know, cheered them on and was proud that Pocatello was doing the march. And you can write water bottles or donating to bail funds or donating to organizations that are fighting for some of this, you know, local or national. There's someone that can benefit from your support, whether that's physical, monetary, emotional, etc. And then another tidbit that I just like to keep shouting out is if you have black people in your life, just do something kind for them. I've had quite a few friends bring me little gift baskets with self-care stuff. I've had a few friends make art for me, um, highlighting my blackness and how important it is to be black and how important I am to the world. I've had my coworkers come together and buy me a plant uh, and write really sweet notes about how important black women are in this world and how important I am and how they want to continue to support me in any way possible. And so I say, go do nice things for your black people in your life. It can be simple, like sending a couple bucks over Venmo to have them buy themselves a Starbucks, or it could be more, you know, big, buying them a gift, getting a gift together with other people. But doing something for your black people in your world shows them that you're there, that you are a safe person to talk about all of this stuff if they ever need, and that you're not going to put any emotional labor on them, right? You're just giving them a gift for the sake of giving them a gift and just showing your love in that way. So those are your tidbits with Tori for today. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. And there you have it, folks, stories of the unheard. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you found something insightful in this episode. Let us know what you thought. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at sistersandsonderpod and at our website, sistersandsonder.com. Remember, Dr. Seuss said, why fit in when you were born to stand out?